loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers, your official pig fucking podcast. <laughs> and I'm, I'm Trace. Joe. You just really <laughs> dove right in there. <laughs> you know what? I'm trying to warn people right off the top. If you've got any kind of animal cruelty vibes, this is maybe not the best you episode. Know, it's actually really funny because I, I maybe you saw, but I tweeted on Twitter that I was watching a movie that involved pig fucking. And I thought that this was a very unique thing to mention in a movie but apparently the first episode of black mirror also has a man fucking a pig and everyone immediately guessed it, it sure was that does. yeah which is kind of funny because black mirror is not a movie it's a anthology that's TV what i was thinking particularly in those early episodes because they aired in the uk so they're like a hot 45 well, minutes and, yeah and someone got really catty with me and they retweeted it and they were like yeah we've all seen the premiere episode of black mirror and i was like listen bitch i'm not talking about that <laughs> <laughs> and that bitch if it is you thank you for listening well the girl did not follow me like she was not a follower so i'm gonna assume that she i someone probably like responded to me that she does follow so i don't think she listens to us but if you did if you have started listening yeah. to us because uh it, this episode will drop in three weeks um thanks yes still your official pig fucking podcast uh well, apparently there's also a movie called the pig fucking movie didn't know that either <laughs> so, so yeah the more you learn so what, what what is this mystery movie so we are talking about calvaire which is a film from the midsection of the new french extremity and it is from 2004 directed by fabrice duels who, who is belgian uh i did make that note so i don't know if they do their w's like w's or they do their w's like b's this is when you hop onto youtube and you try to hear as many different interviews where they introduce the well do we have any new list Listeners, just a heads up, because you're, you're probably going to be hearing a lot of name butchering um, in the past couple weeks and probably the next couple weeks as well, because we were smart and decided to program a bunch of foreign films <laughs> into the span of a month. We're trying to expand your horizons. You can thank us for it later. And yes, if we have butchered any of your national names. And you can apologize. just point it out and like tweet us the phonetic pronunciation. But anyway, yes, yeah, so <laughs> I mean, geez, if that's really what you want to tweet to us about. I'm fine well. with that. I mean, like, I, I'd rather just still be a dick about it, you know, like Miss uh, Premier Black Mirror episode. So, um, yeah, this is Calvaire. That is the French term for Calvary, uh, which we'll get into in a bit. Uh, but also in the States, it was called The Ordeal. My DVD says Calvary, though, but I guess because, I mean... It is an American DVD, I think, but I, it might be out of print, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was ever advertised exclusively as The Ordeal, or if it was like Calvair, The Ordeal, so that people could not have to look up what Calvair means. But whenever you look at posters or DVD covers, they all have the word Calvair front and center. I believe we are talking about this movie on, uh, on around its 15th anniversary because it did premiere at Cam uh, on May 18th, 2004. But I don't think it got a release until 2006. I could be wrong, though. This is another one of those where it premiered over there and then took a couple years to come over here if you're hanging out in North America. Which I will say, listeners, um, if you haven't watched this movie yet and the, the term new French extremity bothers you, it's actually not, well, it is disturbing, but it's not as outright. Yeah. It's not the worst of them. 
despite the pig fucking and the rape, um, I would actually say that, you know, like something like if you've seen Martyrs, it's more that's more disturbing than this movie. This movie's also more of a slow burn. Yeah. Well, I think we'll probably get into where this fits among some of the other new French extreme films. So why don't you run yes. us through the uh, So, yeah, we're looking at a runtime of 88 minutes, uh, which feels a lot longer but that's also just due to the fact that it's kind of like this movie is an ordeal to to sit through i would argue but you know i I liked it it earns its title it only opened in one theater in the states so uh when it opened it was number 118 with 890 (laughs) dollars and then it went on to gross three thousand two hundred and sixty dollars um, which adjusted today is like 4,500, whatever, you know, like it, it, it's a foreign film. It's a super violent horror film. I did read one review though, that yeah. was saying like, uh, it, cause it was at the theatrical release and they were, it was a bad review and it was like, um, p- people who are like mad that foreign films they want to see, like can't get distribution over here are going to be pissed when they see this and say, this is what like American studios will take from foreign <laughs> foreigners. Wow. That is some genre shaming, right? It there. really is. So yeah, uh, and the reviews, uh, not super great. We're looking at a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, I feel like this type of film is always divisive among critics. And I think that the horror critics are probably more lenient with it. Audiences, mm. though, 51%. So I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, Metacritic score kind of evens out, though. You got a, for critics, a 52 out of 100, and then a user score of 5.8 out of 10, which tracks. This isn't really an easy film to digest. The numbers are a little bit interesting because I gathered that if you went to this kind of film, you would more or less know what you were getting into. I mean, or maybe not. Maybe not in 2004, because at this point, it's arguably a couple of years into the new French experience. Well, and also because the disturbing stuff isn't like throughout the film, you could easily do a plot synopsis for this film that is very much like, hey, a man goes to a village and they're kind of crazy. This is true. But yeah, so uh, like like you already eloquently put, uh, director is Fabrice Duwells. Duwells? I don't know. (laughs) He, uh, his most notable films, I haven't seen these, but I've heard of them, but one of them is called Vinyan and the other one is called Message from the King. I've not seen the latter, but I have seen the former. It's on par. I'd say it's actually slower than this film. It's got Rufus Sewell mm. in it. He's the bad guy from um, A Knight's Tale, right? That's I, I know he's in a bunch of other shit, but that's literally the only thing I know. <laughs> when I, I think I, I watched that movie a lot as a kid, so I just... um, Or, I'm sorry, as a preteen. So I... <laughs> Yeah, it's a good frame of reference. I think a lot of people will probably be able to connect who we're talking about based on that. And also, I'm not surprised because that film, I think, was on fucking television all the time. Yes, right? but I did see like, that was a date night. I went on with my mom. I mean, again, like what I think uh, it's like, what, 2001 when that movie came out? So I, I would have been 12, um, which tracks. Yeah, that seems like a good like parental child night yeah. kind of film. And then we've got as our lead actor. Now, OK, I think I'm going to say this right, but it's Laurent Lucas. Yep. <laughs> so uh, he is. Uh, well, so I, I didn't realize this. He's uh, he's in Raw. Uh, he's the dad in Raw. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. I didn't connect it, but now that you're saying it, I can. No, see when it. I was pulling his name and I was looking at his filmography, because again, a lot of these actors, a lot of their filmography are French things, and so I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. And then I saw Raw, and I was like, Oh! And then I went to go see what it was. Yeah, he's the dad. He's also in a great French TV show called the. It's. Translates to The Revenants or The Returned, but in France it was called Les Revenants. It's like an intellectual zombie 
TV show that ran for a couple of years, and it's quite good, but also slow. Honestly, I was the Le Revenant, so you're like, whatever you do with the back of your mouth when you say, the, when you pronounce the R, I can't do that. I roll up the rim to win. It's If you ever want to practice saying French things, you can practice your R's with... See, okay, but that's the thing. When I do, whenever I do, like, because I took Spanish in uh, high school, because that's like, you know, if you're in Texas, like, Spanish is kind of the one you take. Um, I can't roll my R's. Fair. Yep, can't oh, do it. really? Uh... I know it really sucks. We're learning so much about each other right now. <laughs> None of it pertinent, but super interesting. And honestly, <laughs> really, the only other actor of note is, oh, God. So it's Jackie Beroye who plays Bartel, the innkeeper. There are other people in this movie, but none of them are really, like, prevalent. It's pretty much just Laurent and jackie the whole movie which uh mark and bartell yeah it's nearly a two-person act i'll mention a couple of other people in the plot synopsis but right yeah it's i mean at the end of the day it's these two dominant and the on that note then let's why don't you tell me what it's about all right so here is your mostly brief rundown of what happens in calvaire in case you have not seen it Mark Stevens, Laurent Lucas, is a young traveling singer. After a concert at the nursing home on Christmas Eve, in which he is propositioned twice by different women for sex, Mark begins to drive to his next gig. Shortly afterwards, his van breaks down, and he is led through the storm by Boris, Jean-Luc Couchard, a potentially mentally handicapped young man searching for his female dog, Bella. Mark is brought to an inn run by Mr. Bartel, Jackie Berroyer, the next morning, Bartel promises to fix Mark's truck, but indicates it will take at least a day. Mark elects to take a walk, and Bartel warns him not to go into the village. While Mark is away, Bartel sees sexually explicit photos included in the envelope from the woman who propositioned him at the nursing home, as well as Mark's cell phone. On his walk, Mark sees a group of young men having sex with a pig, and he beats a hasty retreat. That night at dinner, Bartel encourages Mark to perform for him after confessing that his wife Gloria, a singer, has left him. The next day, Mark figures out that Bartel has not fixed the van. Bartel then knocks him unconscious, dresses him in his wife's old dress, ties him up, and cuts off his hair, claiming it is for protection against the village men. Bartel treats Mark as his absent wife, even calling him by Gloria's name. And even though Mark attempts to escape, he is caught in a snare by Boris and returned to Bartel. That night, Bartel goes to the village and tells the men at the canteen that his wife has returned and that they should stay away. The men dance creepily as Bartel, Boris, and Mark eat Christmas dinner. The village men then attack the house, killing Bartel and raping Mark before he escapes. He runs through the marshes, pursued by Robert Philippe Nahon, who falls into a bog and begs Mark, as Gloria, to confess that she loves him. Mark submits, absolving the man of his guilt, and then the guy sinks to his death, and Mark is left alone in the wilderness. Did you mention that Mark became Gloria? Like, he, like, took on the persona of Gloria in the end as the man was sinking? I mean, I said it, but not in that fashion, so yes. Yeah. Um, also, I didn't realize this, because um, I, I didn't know who Robert was when I was going through my call sheet, but the man that plays Robert, um, Philippe Naon, he's in high tension and irreversible. Yeah, which is funny because this one I can't place, so I've seen both of those films, but I can't remember who he I haven't seen High Tension probably since it was released on DVD in the States, although I imagine we'll be covering it on this podcast at some point. I'm sure people are probably saying, oh, I can't believe that you're not covering that. Uh, well, yeah, right? It's like, people, we're trying to cover something that you haven't seen before so we can expose you to more films. <laughs> so yeah, this is 
a lot of stuff in a movie. It's like light on plot, heavy on dread, and just like... Well, it's actually very easy to look at this movie, literally. And honestly, when it ended, I was very much like, okay, like, I I mean, it's fine. It's, you know, really shocking and disturbing. And that's that. But I was doing a little bit more research on it today. And it actually, it's a very surreal film. And if you kind of go, like, don't look at it as... I don't want to say like not like real the real world, but it's very much like so. Okay, I read this going uh, going into it that you know the director intended for Mark and Bartel to be the only two characters in the film, and it started out that way, and then they ended up adding more characters. But then he still considers every other character in this village to basically still be Bartel or a version of Bartel's psyche. Yeah, when I saw that on the call sheet, I was intrigued, but also mildly dismissive. Okay. Uh, why why are you dismissive of that? Well, maybe we should start with a bit of context. Go ahead. So setting this film within the boundaries of the new French extremity and thinking about why or how it sort of fits in. Yeah, by, by all means. Okay, so in case anyone does not know, new French extremity was coined by a film programmer and writer named James Kahn. And I'm referencing a chapter from Alexandra West's book called Films of the New French Extremity, which covers pretty much all of the films that you would expect to fall within this cycle. So it starts with Gaspar Noé's work in the 90s, but it really kicks up steam in around 2002 when he does Irreversible, which is the really terrible rape in reverse film that um, stars... Monica Bellucci and Vincent Cassell. There we go. Yes, thank you. So Jacques Kahn was actually very dismissive of this like he did not like this so he coined the phrase but he was not in favor of it so he categorizes it as cinema suddenly determined to break every taboo to wade in rivers of viscera and spumes of sperm to fill each frame with flesh nubile or gnarled and subjected to all manner of penetration mutilation and defilement and he's talking about the films of french authors like Catherine Brulé, Claire Denis, Gaspar Noé, and Bruno Dumont. And so what Alexandra West says is that these are films that are, they're just not afraid to be in your face, to be aggressive, to do things that would be considered completely taboo and gross and make you uncomfortable. And part of this is that this is a really significant historical moment in France where there was a bunch of like repression about the past and France from the outside is often considered very civil and uh, very genteel and they've got this long history behind them. But it's also like one of the spots in Europe that has seen the most war, the most death, the most casualties and these kinds of things. So films of the French of the new French extremity are basically taking all of that anger and that anxiety and that death and trauma. And then they're throwing into the mix things like this burgeoning neo-Nazi racism thing that unfortunately the U S is kind of going through right now, but they were going through it right at the turn of the century and in the early two thousands. And these filmmakers were trying to process that through their films So basically, Calvera falls into a spate of films that 
more or less deals with people from the city getting accosted by people from the country. And part of that is this idea that the cities are stable and normal. And then if you happen to go out into the old country, it's where the past is still present because these people have not kept up with modern times they are still adhering to folklore to tradition and you're far more likely to not only encounter conflict when two groups encounter each other but also it's all of that murky dirty messy shit that city folk and i'm like using city as not like a literal city folk but like the more right people who just aren't more. like you know not technologically advanced on a farm yeah and they end up representing all of this shit bubbling up to the past. So in this case, the fact that we're contending with a man whose wife has left him and he can't let go of the past to the point that he forces the past onto the present is very apt. Well, and so that's why, okay, like with this particular movement, like I haven't seen a lot of the films in it. You know, I've seen High Tension, I've seen Martyrs, I've seen Inside, but like I haven't seen mm -hmm. Frontiers, um, I have not seen Irreversible, and... I mean, there's a bu I mean, there's a bunch more, and I'm sure, like, you know, these those are, like, your big popular ones that, that you know, made it to the States. Mm -hmm. But what I actually, like, because people always tend to say that, oh, Inside is, like, one of the best horror films ever made, and I like Inside, but, like, Inside doesn't really say a lot for me. It's just very much a very, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it's a very simple story of, you know, pregnant woman getting attacked in her house by a crazy lady. And the reason I like movies like Martyrs more is because there's more on that movie's mind. You know, there's a big philosophical question at the base of Martyrs. And it, maybe not necessarily a question in this one, but there's definitely, like, a, it's making a statement about their society. Yep. And I, I don't think that you're wrong, either. This film, it's maybe got a bit more on its mind than Inside. There, There is more to Inside than just the conflict between right. the two women. So I find this film and Frontiers are similar. I saw them listed together a lot in the, the, the brief research that I did. Yeah, and Alex West actually puts them together in okay. a chapter. So Frontiers is a lot more explicit about it up front. So that film actually begins with a race riot that happens in Paris. And the main characters have to escape from the city. And they're mostly comprised of people of color or women and they get out of the city and it's very texas chainsaw massacre they end up on a farm thinking that they've got refuge in this kind of airbnb style mm -hmm. place and the family ends up killing them because they're neo-nazis and they are all about you know race purity and yeah. this kind of thing sorry spoilers for frontiers but it's one of those things where a, a lot of the time the plot of these films is important, but not important in the way that a North American film's plot is. It's very much more about the experience of watching and going through. Like, the films are very... Well, yeah, I mean, they're very much endurance tests. And I mean, again, like, if you've ever seen a Gaspar Noé film, that's also kind of... I mean, I've only seen Climax of Gaspar Noé's. I've never seen any of his other films. But, like, I, when I tell people, I'm like, I loved it, but I never want to watch it again. And it's very much an experience <laughs> than it is you know an yes. actual movie that you're watching but mm -hmm. where these specifically like these more horror leaning films uh of the new french extremity movement are is it's all in their graphic violence and a lot of times also sexual assault 
And so it's even with something like this, it is kind of an endurance test, you know, where it's not filled to the brim with like violence and sexual assault, but they're parts of the film. They're none of them are easy watches. I don't think I've ever seen a new French extremity film no. where I've been like, oh, this is like, it's not like a I'm cooking and I want to put something on in the background type movie. No. And you're definitely not going to say, hey, I've just got a friend coming over who's casually interested in horror films. I think I'll just pop something on. I agree. But I will say that I love Martyrs so much that I would probably show Martyrs to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so beware if you come to my apartment. No, oh, wow. That is interesting. Yeah, I think of all of them, I think most people would probably agree that Martyrs is at the top of the endurance yeah. test, the most difficult to watch, but also definitely the most interesting things going on. And it is. It is. Difficult. And I totally understand why. I think the ones that people tend to enjoy the most or like maybe find the most fun is high tension. Yeah. Because that's almost why I'm less interested to talk about High Tension, because I think it's a great, very accessible film that then has a twist that doesn't really make a great No, it doesn't. Sense. And I, I've only seen it once. And I remember when I did see it, I was so fucking mad at that twist. I hated it. And not even because of the implications of what it means for queerness, but just because narratively it didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Which makes it all the more bizarre that apparently they conceived of it first and then wrote the film backwards. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, about that we're film. not talking about that. Whatever. We're talking about um, but <laughs> so, what, what, all right. So, what I was going to kind of fascinating, by the way, nice good bit of French history there. But what I was going to say with um, with how the director you know intended Mark and Bartel to be the only two characters in the film, it's basically mm-hmm. I, you could it's simplified. But basically, um, and so I found this quote from something called the Horror Digest, um, a now defunct website. But um, basically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the director talks about in the commentary that he says that um, every other character in the film is a version of Bartel. They all want something from Mark. Old ladies want to put his hand on their crotch. Sexy nurses want to do him. Old men think Mark is their wife. And a man believes that Mark is his dog. Mark becomes a kind of vacant character, a template for all other characters to fill with what they want. And then another uh, site, which is the Backseat Driver Reviews, uh, Miss Erin Thompson. Uh, Mark represents sexual magnetism and talent to which people wish to attach themselves in order to achieve some type of gratification, whether it be sexual or a sense of emotional closeness. So on that level, I can kind of understand, you know, I mean, yes, watching it literally, it's a bunch of different people. But if you're looking at it from a purely, um, what's what's the word, like uh like a almost like a microcosm i guess of society like it's like the the people that want and then the, the source of the object of their affection or the object of their desire uh, i see okay so almost like a dichotomy you're either mark and you're an object of desire or you are not mark and you are fixated yes on because honestly my big again you know me with my literal brain when all the people started like believing that mark was gloria i was like what the fuck is going on in this town oh yeah, and if you haven't seen this film before, those moments don't make any sense. Even when Bartel accosts him and starts saying, you know, Gloria, you you know, you come back to me and oh, I'm going to cut your hair to protect you and you're you're watching thinking, did I miss something? He he never seems normal, but he didn't seem crazy. I think on a rewatch, it might cuz again, you're talking is there a moment? Is there a moment when the f- when the switch flips and you can and Bartel like believes? Oh wait, this isn't 
Mark, this is Gloria. Come back to me. I would actually argue, if you go back and watch it again, so this is the second time that I've seen this, albeit not in mm-hmm. a very long time, there isn't that moment. The minute that he shows up at the inn, your spider sense should be tingling because Bartel is off his rocker right from okay. the very beginning. The way that he acts around Mark It's actually the minute that he hears that Mark is a singer. So when he sees his logo on the side Mm -hmm. of the van, that's your cue. Because the minute that he sees, oh, singer, my wife who left me was a singer. Thinking back, I was like, oh, it's the moment when he asks him to sing to him at the dinner table. But then, of course, you're thinking, because he calls them quote-unquote, calls the mechanic, but the phone is always unhooked from the get-go. So, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. I guess you could kind of gather that, too. But, again, that that is more believable to me than the moment when he goes to the town and he tells, he brags about his wife's return, and all of them are like, nuh-uh, nuh-uh, and then they do that weird fucking polka dance, which is the most terrifying part of the movie, which is saying something, and then they just believe it. And then, again, everyone believes that Mark is Gloria. Well, except for Boris, who thinks that it's his dog. There's also a very interesting gender divide mm-hmm. in this film, right? So at the beginning of the film, when Mark is performing badly yes. at the nursing home, <laughs> many of the people who are watching him are women. There are a couple of men in the crowd, but obviously the connection between Mark and women is very firmly established. And it's also very important that when we see Mark, he's putting on makeup or he's taking yeah. off makeup which are traditionally associated more with femininity. Of course, in this context, he's a performer, so it makes sense for him to be doing that. With the exception of the beginning of the film, there aren't really any women in the film. No, and that is by design. Well, so in on that respect, then you can say that Mark is, because I mean, because he does feminine things, what, what I'm sorry, what society deems as feminine, and then he is yes. put in a dress and made to be a woman, he's your final girl of this movie. I mean, obviously, he's the, he's the final person, but, like, it's explicitly, like, oh, no, he's a girl. And by the end of this movie, he believes he is a girl. And it kind of made me draw comparisons to a, the very first film we ever discussed on Bloody, The Skin I Live In. Yeah. And part of this is that in The Skin I Live In, it's a power right. dynamic, right? So that one is, it's a revenge fantasy. This one, you could almost argue it's a bit of a love story. As twisted and fucked up as that, maybe. Of a very, very, very crazy person. But it's like, yeah, he. Yeah. but he's having this opposite gender forced on him. Granted, in The Skin mm-hmm. I Live In, it's, it's, you know, very physical and on top of mental whereas this one it's more just like he mentally succumb over the span of i want to say like two days comes to believe that he is a woman oh okay so i don't this is interesting so do you believe at the end of the film when mark tells robert that he is mm-hmm. gloria and that he forgives him and then he lets him die do you think he believes i that? do i i did that's how i took it you did you think he was just saying that to appease him so there's a lot of stuff here so, as we've said, you know, this is about gender, but it's also about the performativity of that gender. So, I always read the ending as Mark is resistant to playing, and I'm doing that with air okay. quotations. He's been resistant to playing the role of Gloria throughout the film, which is why he keeps trying mm-hmm. to get away and it keeps getting him into trouble. When he has that opportunity, you know, at this point, he's not in danger anymore. He's escaped from everyone else in the town except for Robert. And Robert is in no position to accost him. He makes this conscious decision to say, okay, 
I'm prepared to give this person what they need before they pass. To me, that's him embracing the role, but I don't actually... I personally have never read it as Mark is now glory. Admittedly, this is coming from some of the research that I did. And I, w- I do want to go back and read this piece from um, Aaron Thompson, who uh, from the Backseat Driver Reviews. But hear me out. So she writes, everyone in this film is trying to make the most out of a situation that is so fucking depressing that it's simply easier to accept the world around you. I know it's really eloquent <laughs> um, than to try to uh, fight to get out of it. Mark tries to make a better life for himself at the beginning of the film by traveling and then he fails. He tries to make his life easier by escaping his captivity and fails. As a result, he is trapped, beaten, crucified and humiliated. Um, he screams and cries while tied to a chair. That doesn't help. In his powerlessness, he's raped on a dining room table and then runs for his life, his pursuers close on his heels. Once lost in the wilderness and facing a dying captor, Marx pushed past the point of fuck it and answers the dying man as Gloria. Bartel, while less sympathetic, is an obviously broken man that is trying to fix the fracture of his life by substituting another in place of his lost love, a woman that has left a gaping hole in the entire village as well. Mark represented what they were missing, so he became it in order for them to continue to function. Everyone adapted to the best of their ability, making their responses to the surroundings and circumstances more of a Stockholm issue than anything else. Yeah. It's one reading, but I kind of see it. But then, of course, when you're going into the subject of time, you know, it's two days. But I, I, I'm also wondering, because if, again, if you want to pinpoint a moment, it's when he stumbles upon the titular Calvair, the Calvary, that maybe he kind of, like, gives up. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not disagreeing mm-hmm. with you, except to the extent with which Mark himself actually believes it. Yeah. I think we're in agreement that he resists it up to a certain point, and then he does give into it. I just... I, you think it's an act? Yeah. I think he he finally realizes that he has to perform this in order to get Ooh, him the other what side. What if it's about, what if the movie's really about a bad performer finally, like, honing his craft? <laughs> i'm making light of this movie which has very very serious like dark depressing things in it but you know he fooled me to become the pig you must be the pig. i mean and it's yeah i mean the whole sequence and I, I, I realize we've kind of just jumped to the end of this movie but there really isn't a lot before the climax that i i don't feel merits a lot of discussion minus the pig fucking because uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode people fuck pigs in this movie Okay, there's plenty more to talk about. We definitely need to talk about the shootout that happens at Bartels. We need to talk way more about the dance sequence that happens in that canteen, because that is the most bizarre fucking thing. You're right. So what do you want to start with? Um, Pig fucking. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I guess part of this, like the big thing that people will notice on a first watch is how you've already alluded to it, Mark is constantly recontextualized as a woman by both Bartel as well Mm -hmm. as the men. But that's only because there are no other female characters, like not even animals from what we know of. In in the pig fucking scene, though, is there not a woman standing there? I feel like there's one woman, but I could be wrong. No, it's a man with long hair. Well, there you go. Okay. It's a very deliberate idea. And I know... If people aren't prepared to go on a journey with this film, you'll look at it and say, well, what the fuck kind of town doesn't have any women in it? Or if these men are looking to fuck so badly and they want this Gloria chick, like, why wouldn't they leave town and go find women? That's not the point. This community is like a surreal, psychotic, fake world. (laughs) This isn't a real place. 
we, you said the word microcosm earlier, and that's what this is. This is a folklore stand-in for a number of different things. One of them being this town that has had the lifeblood sucked out of it, and it has left only madness and misery behind. Hence, pig-fucking. How shocked were you? I mean, I told you that there was pig fart. I was prepared for the pig. I wasn't prepared for it that early. <laughs> we're talking, what, maybe 30 minutes in? Yeah, I would say max 30 minutes into this movie. Okay, so th- that's a complaint that's lodging against these movies all the time, though, is that they are, ec- and by these movies, I mean, like, the new French Extremity. It's excess for the sake of excess. Oh, this isn't bad. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, again, you tell some of this pig fucking in this movie, and again, what? I mean... Man on pig, not pig on pig. <laughs> Just to clarify. But they're going to say, well, what, what, what possible purpose could that serve? So, what is, I mean, like, why include this scene in this movie? It's giving you a lot of insight into the state of mind of what is happening. So, I think early on in the film, too, you're maybe meant to believe that Bartel is different from these other men because we don't see them interact until near the end. So we know that something's off with Bartel, but then when he warns Mark not to go into the village, mm-hmm. it it sort of fixes a us versus them idea, right? So then when Mark goes and, you know, like what could be the craziest thing that you see? Holy shit, I stumble upon this group of guys fucking a pig. Well, now clearly I am not with them. And I'm therefore with the person who told me, don't go around these folks. Well, and again, so the director also apparently thinks that we should sympathize with Bartel and not with Mark. Mark is a vacant slot. Mm-hmm. He, you know what Mark is? Mark as a whole. He's something that people can just pour whatever they want into, be it a dick or a Gloria persona. <laughs> yeah, they put a lot of things in Mark in this movie. They do. And we should clarify that if you have not seen this film and you're holding off and our discussion is frightening you, there is assumed rape in this, but it's not graphic in the way that you would... Yeah. I've seen way more graphic rape scenes, all of them involving women. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, I think it's important to note that like this this is one of cinema's very rare instances of man-on-man rape. And I do also want to clarify, though, that even though we are discussing this on a you know, queer podcast through a queer lens. Just because it is a man-on-man rape, it actually doesn't make it queer. That's not really what we're trying to say. Because actually, it's very much a quote-unquote hetero rape Mm -hmm. scene because they view him as a woman. They actually think he's Gloria. And we should also clarify, it ain't hot. It's not like we're, you know, salivating over the idea like, oh, Mark's going to get it. It's, It's horrifying. It is rape. It is assault. The way it's shot is really cool, too, because it's an overhead view of the camera, and it, like, spins around as... But it's also very brief. I want to say it's, like, maybe 10 seconds tops of, like, them showing this one guy rape him. Mm-hmm. The pig fucking lasts longer. Yes, it does. Um, we jumped ahead, Which though. is <laughs> also, I would argue, very upsetting. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, those are the two moments where it's, like, if you're describing this movie to someone, oh, it's that one with the pig fucking and the man rape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... That's that's how I would describe this movie to someone. Which does it a disservice, of course, but... <laughs> that was actually my short synopsis. <laughs> you know, that one with all that. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I mean, so, okay, jumping back to your pig fucking. So... <laughs> my pig fucking. Yes, your pig fucking. Um, you picked this Take movie. Take ownership of the pig fuck. Yes. But yeah, so, I mean... It, 
I guess, yeah, on that level, I didn't even think about that as being a way to, like, yeah, put you further on the side of Bartel to be like, yeah, look at these fucking, like, hick villagers. They're fucking pigs. Makes mm-hmm. total sense. So on a narrative level, that does work, too. Yeah. And then, of course, he comes back. What's interesting to me, too, is that Mark doesn't tell Bartel what he saw. So there, there's still the dissociation between him as an outsider and he's saying, even though this this guy has offered to fix my van, he's put me up for the night, he's still not willing to confide in him, which is then when we get that really uncomfortable dinner scene. And you can tell that Mark does not want to sing for Bartel. Right. Which also tracks because he's he's a performer, right? This is his craft. It's his profession. So to have someone just say, hey, can you get up at dinner a foot away from me and sing me a love song? <laughs> You know, Mark is clearly not down with that. Well, I mean, again, you, there's also your standard, which this is a Western thing, I guess, even too. But it's like, he's like, oh, I'll fix the car. I'll call the mechanic. The mechanic's going to come. Oh, he can't come till tomorrow. I'll fix the car. I'll get, the, oh, the battery's out. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's just one thing after another to keep Mark there. Yeah. Until it all boils over. And yeah, Mark witnesses him. Well, he finds the phone unplugged. And then he witnesses Bartel trying to blow up his car, which he succeeds. He does, indeed. It's just kind of crazy. Like, I think that's, if you hadn't already guessed, that's your cue that Bartel is incredibly unhinged. Because at that point, he's not even trying to hide it. When he he blows up the car? Yeah, I kind of (laughs) figured. Well, because... You know, Mark comes out and he's looking around and then all of a sudden, bam, he's on the ground and that sucker is on fire. (laughs) Like it goes from zero to 60 in the space of no time at all. Because he knocks him out with the car battery. And I remember thinking that was edited very weird because you don't actually see the impact. It's like he throws it, it cuts and but like it cuts to him just immediately on the ground. Mm -hmm. I would actually argue that the film's limited budget holds it back at a couple of different points because I don't think they had either the ability to take multiple takes or to show, like, to do the stunt work properly. Probably. I mean, that that wouldn't surprise me. It probably all went to that fucking overhead shot during the rape scene. Yeah. Okay, so what we're talking about there, we'll we'll skip ahead again. Okay. Uh, So... At the Christmas dinner, Bartel and Boris and Mark are sitting around there. You know, it's the picture of a lovely Christmas dinner with family because Boris is kind of the slow son. We have no idea. Okay, as I say, and also, this whole movie, Boris is looking for his dog, Bella. Mm-hmm. And we, to be honest, don't ever know if Bella exists. No, he does come in carrying a sheep. Is it a sheep or a calf? It's a calf. It's definitely okay. a calf. I thought I saw horns. Well, calves, cows have horns. Do they? So, well, not not cows, I guess, but like a longhorn. Well, those are in, uh, whatever. Anyway, it's it's he comes a, in carrying an barnyard animal. He he comes in carrying a not dog. Yeah, <laughs> very clearly not a dog. So, but isn't we don't know if either a this animal has always been Bella and like he has had this animal, or mm-hmm. if he's if Bella never existed and he just picked it up to like and just. Again, it assumed his identity because earlier in the film, when Mark escapes and he gets trapped in a rabbit snare, Boris finds him and thinks he's Bella. So all the villains in this movie, like, again, like, like going backwards, they are all looking for something. And mm-hmm. literally the first breathing, living thing they find, they automatically make that thing assume its identity. And it's not madness. Like, they're not 
insane. It's that... Mm, are they? See, I read it as Mark is the thing that they don't understand or that they haven't encountered, and therefore he can become what they need him to be. Gotcha. I mean, yes, you could argue, you know, hey, there's a person. Why am I calling it a dog? That means I'm crazy. But I think in the world of the film, I mean, that's why Mark is a performer, because he's meant to take on these different roles. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, and also, do we ever learn why Bartel had an issue with the villagers or the townsfolk? Yes, it's understated. It's easy to miss. I'm not sure if it has something to do with the subtitles as well. But the impression you're meant to have is that Gloria was stepping out on Bartel with perhaps many of the villagers. Well, I think if you're going by the end of the film, you could definitely think that because all of if she fucked all of these men... That's why they're all, again, wanting to get Mark as Gloria. Like, mm-hmm. He's filling this void in their lives that she clearly filled for all the men because apparently she was the only woman in this town. Yeah. I mean, the film is fascinating in the way that it just refuses you easy answers as well. Because if you go into this thinking, oh, at some point we're going to find Gloria's body or we're going to get a suggestion of what happened to her. Nope. No. Literally all you know is that Gloria is no longer there. And now Mark is fucking Gloria. Yeah. Not literally. Mark is, comma, fucking, comma, Gloria. (laughs) No. I don't don't think that's the right sentence structure. That's not right. (laughs) I'm going to edit that bitch out. (laughs) I think I'm editing this one, actually. So, no. (laughs) So, before we get to your happy Christmas dinner, though, we have to go to the scene, though, when he goes to the bar and brags about Gloria's return. Which is, to me, very uncomfortable. It is. I mean, so much of this film is very uncomfortable, but you can, like, I love the body language that these actors give these performances because you you really don't know what's going on with the villagers up until this point. No. So they're sitting around, they're having drinks, and then Bartel walks in and it's it's like a guy, it's a, again, like a Western, it's the guy walking into the saloon and the hush just falls over the entire crowd. You know what it reminds Because what I expected to happen was them to laugh him off. And the, this is so funny. The scene that it reminded me of was the scene in the Disney's animated Beauty and the Beast when, um, <laughs> no, when Papa comes in and he's like telling Gaston and everyone like, oh, there's a beast, there's a beast. And they're all laughing yeah. at him. That's exactly what, I, like, what it reminded me of. And then he leaves <laughs> and they start playing piano. And they're both set in quaint provincial towns in France. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's what he was going for. Okay, so if you had to cast this by Disney characters, oh my God. who is Gaston? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Robert in this case. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Ew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does, you know, he does his hunt for Belle or Gloria does lead to his own demise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let that be a lesson. Don't go chasing women into the woods. It can only lead to quicksand. In France. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so wait. So, okay. Yes, that's all going on. He's he's bragging about Gloria's return, and they're all like, oh, like, ha-ha, old man, nuh-uh. Which is like, read the room, buddy. Like, yeah. people are not having it. He keeps insisting that the bartender get him a beer, and this guy looks like he either wants to run away or poison him. <laughs> yeah. So... Then he leaves. 
what mm-hmm. what is this sequence? What is what it? Is this sequence? Okay, so I have a quote from the director. Okay. So he says that this scene was not originally in the script. Okay. That was kind of fascinating because to me, if you're watching this film, as we said, obviously the pig fucking, the man raping, those are kind of standouts. But in terms of the highest level, what the fuckery in this movie, it is this sequence where Mm -hmm. these men start to dance to this polka and they are mimicking each other's movements. It's, it felt very like, demonic cult like like they're doing some kind of ritual dance so he says that he got inspiration from it from a 1968 movie called un soir un train which translates into one night one train it's another belgian film but it involves a beautiful woman who probably represents death inviting the lead actor yves montan to dance in a very flemish pub He resists, but finally he dances with the beautiful lady and everyone else starts to dance too. So the director, he saw this and he thought, oh, that's the way that I have to shoot this scene. If you accept the dance scene, then everything is complete and it's the key to opening the film and accepting the rest of the madness. Huh. Does that solve anything for you? I mean, kind of, I guess. I mean, I like the scene because, again, as I said earlier, I think it's genuinely the most disturbing scene of the movie, which is saying something about a movie with pig fucking and man-on-man rape. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's nothing violent or grotesque. Well, actually, no, I, I would say it is kind of grotesque because, like, the looks on all their faces, it's just, like, one of pure batshit insanity. They look like zombies. Yeah. The fact that there's no... It isn't, there isn't even hesitation to the way that they react. You know, it starts with one pair and then it just naturally kind of seeps out to the others where they'll get up and they'll start mimicking and they're all doing the same motions, which does make sense because if you think of it as a dance and also as something that's a little bit mad right they get up and they just start all moving in the same rhythm because if you were if you think of it as a polka they would you would dance to a polka in a certain way yeah but in this case they are batshit crazy yeah i mean i guess yeah that makes total sense well and yeah so then that again listeners if you haven't seen this i think you can actually youtube that scene specifically oh yeah but it's interesting because again i i imagine I was about to say regular people. And then I'm like, no, no, we're all regular. <laughs> I imagine people could look at that scene and say, oh, wow, this that's like some weird gay shit. Hey, because it's a bunch of men just men like dancing, dancing with each other. each other. But again, it is and it isn't right. Yeah, well, that's the thing, though. I mean, like there, there's nothing sexual about it. No. And honestly, there's really nothing sexual about any of them. And. Till they see Mark. Yeah. And then that's when they go homicidal. The whole, again, from, from the point where they start busting into the house, it's like a fever dream. Like, yeah. I think even the lighting, I want to say, during that scene, is it's like red. Yeah, I'm trying to green. remember. The, the scene where they're all dancing together is kind of a blue green blue green yeah and then when they go into the house it seems like it's lit by the colors of the christmas tree because don't forget this is a christmas movie that makes hey, sense donato you could watch this for your podcast oh my god matt donato haha <laughs> happy christmas uh yeah I, so I, I then yeah i actually do 
again, I keep going back to that overhead shot during the rape scene, which again is like a 10 second shot maybe, but I th- mm-hmm. think it's all in red, which would make sense. But yeah, the, the whole ending is like just like this kind of blur of things. Oh, you know what it kind of reminds me of? And granted, this movie came later is the batshit climax of Mother. Okay, interesting. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say is, you know, like how that movie is very much like like an allegory or like a microcosm of just like, a, a, I mean, if you want to read it this way of like, you know, the, the Bible. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think so, that's the only way you can read it. If you're reading it in any other way, you're probably missing the most obvious way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's also, yeah, like how I felt about this movie. Like it was such, it was such pandemonium. Uh, oh, I love that word. I so rarely get to use it in a sentence. And it, but it, you can't take this literally, you know, it's all very much like a rep- representative of something else. And what that is, is kind of up to you as, like, you know, you the viewer. Well, this is full-blown insanity so the minute that these men burst into this house all of a sudden they're shooting people because of the way that it's shot it's so frenetic and fractured it really is pandemonium you don't have a good sense of what's happening you know for sure that bartel gets shot well boris actually i think gets shot first boris dies immediately oh that's right yeah he gets shot through the window yeah that's what anticipates the rest of the attack yes Whether or not he dies is unclear. It's far more suggestive that Bartel does bite it. Oh, yeah, because they shoot him in the face. I think so. No, 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 they do. Because they they point the gun down on him as he's on the ground, like, after the rape and after Mark's already escaped. Uh, Okay. But but, then from then on, it's like... And do you think there's a significance to because okay, there's so much squealing in this movie um from the animals. So you have that <laughs> you have that calf of Boris's that oh god, I felt so bad for that calf. And then other than the pigs and the pig fucking scene, you also oh, the, you've got the pig tracker. Yes, it's like a hunting dog, but it's a hunting pig, and it is yeah. squealing for the entire like end of this movie, which is hysterical because I remember not. Yeah, okay, so this last time that I saw it, I definitely had a moment where I wondered whether or not that was Bella. Because they're Um, using a pig as a hunting, like you'd normally see a hunting dog, dog, Yeah, like a hound. It's like, oh, I wonder if that's actually Bella. That, I mean, the movie doesn't really care to answer that question for you. but the movie doesn't care to answer any questions. I mean, but you see, though, like, it's that, it's the lack of questions answered doesn't really, like, I don't does mind. It not bother you? I know. I was gonna say it doesn't bother me. I was trying to find another, <laughs> another phrase to say, but but then it would in something else. I'm trying to think of another movie where you know it is intentionally vague and it's more frustrating. Like I didn't find that that narrative, like that lack of narrative closure, frustrating in this no. movie. But it's because the movie's not interested in posing them as actual questions either. It's right. merely meant to string you along so that you're just like, well, what is who is Bella? What is happening with this Gloria character? It's window dressing on whatever the bigger picture of the movie is trying to tell. Yeah. In a way, the film is a mystery because you're constantly left to wonder what the fuck is going on. But that's it. Yeah. Like, that's why it's a journey. I was honestly surprised by Bartel's death because the movie sets him up to be the big bad. And then that is not the case. And it, it it just turns out to be all these villagers because they kill Bartel immediately. I guess, the, you know, the uprising against, well, he's not really their leader, but I don't it's know if maybe. adversary. Yeah. I don't really know if there was like, like I mean, you kind of went into it, but like the political climate, like in France at the time, if maybe that's kind of like, oh, like that's, you know, 
the citizens overthrowing their political leader or something. Like, you know, you think you think the head politician is the bad guy, but it's actually the citizens themselves. Quite possibly. I know that the director did intend for us to feel sympathy. Like, the the sympathetic figure is definitely meant to be Bartel. And that's, okay, I don't really get why. I'm not sure that there's a need for a why. A part of it is that this film presents Mark as a protagonist, but there's also nothing to Mark. Like, if you think back on our experiences of watching the film, what do we know about Mark apart from the fact that he's a singer in between gigs? I mean, nothing. Well, yeah, he's a blank slate, which again is why these people can put their desires on him because there's nothing there. He's just, mm -hmm. like, as we said, he's a hole. Okay, and now what do we know about Bartel? Yeah, I, you know, he, he gets the tragic, well, tragic backstory that his wife was cheating on him with the whole village and then left. Mm -hmm. And then he gets this opportunity to be reunited with her. And it I don't like to speculate about what films would be had they taken a different turn of narrative events. Right. But there's an interesting suggestion that if we think of Mark as moving towards acceptance and playing the part, how different would that Christmas dinner have turned out had the villagers not stormed the castle? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that. Then you're just talking about what is Bartel's endgame. He had his wife back, man. They would have lived happily ever after. Yeah. That's why it's sad that he dies. Well, but then at any point, though, like, you know, well, then again, we're going back to what what would Mark do? Has he ex has he acquiesced and accepted his position as Gloria or mm. is he putting on an act this whole time? Yeah. And I love the fact that we don't know because you could say, you know, you you could be me and say, no, I think he's just playing the part to do what he needs to do to survive. Or you could say, no, he's accepted it and he is now Gloria. Okay, well, we've dealt with that. We've dealt with your little Christmas dinner. We've dealt with your rape scene. Um, <laughs> Why are these all my? They're all your things because you picked this movie. I picked this movie. Yeah, but again, like I, I think I, I. I walked out of this movie giving it a three, and I think I've kind of maybe bumped it up to three and a half the more like I read about it and the more we've talked about it. Yes, success. I know. I mean, it's not a movie I'm ever really going to watch again anytime okay. soon anyway. But so, okay, Mark escapes. The villagers, you know, they kill Boris, they kill Bartel, they've got their hunting pig, and they're out on the town or on the forest trying to find Mark. Yeah, it's a night out with the girls. Yeah, yes. Mark comes across. A cavalry. Oh, I guess we also forgot to mention, though, that Mark... I mean, we mentioned it, but we didn't really touch on it. Mark gets crucified. Yeah, I had completely forgotten about that. It is very strange. And, again, I, I, I struggled to find the significance of it outside of the fact that that is one of the calvaries in the movie. A calvary is a type of monumental public crucifix, sometimes encased in an open shrine most commonly found across northern France from Brittany, east, through Belgium and Portugal and Galicia. So some calvaires um, are distinguished from a simple crucifix cross by the inclusion of three-dimensional figures surrounding the crucifixion itself, typically representing Mary and the apostles of Jesus, though later saints and symbolic figures may also be depicted. But a lot of times also in northern France and Belgium, uh, they're erected at the junction of roots and tracks, um, functioning both as navigation devices and objects of veneration. I don't know what that means. Uh, it's like worship. Oh, okay. Which is also why we see one when he crosses from the woods into, I think we're meant to assume it's a cemetery. 
Yes. Well, and so here's another interesting fact, though. So since medieval times, they have fixed the landscape, symbolically acquiring it for the Christian faith, in the same way that previously megalithic monuments marked prehistoric landscapes according to presumed religious and ideological imperatives. So then what? So this town's just like super religious? Quite possibly. I mean, there's virtually no explicit references to religion in here. Mm -hmm. So you have to read between the lines. So obviously the crucifixion is the most explicit version of that. But I think there's something interesting to be said that if you look at the end of the film, when he does end up leading Robert into this cemetery or graveyard, he crosses that liminal boundary between the woods and the graveyard. And there is another example of a calvary there. And it's at that point that he accepts his role. And you could also argue that Robert falls into a grave, which goes back to that whole thing about like France being a war zone that has open wounds that it has not healed yet. Well, so then, okay, let's go back to this first crucifixion, though. So why do you think Bartel crucifies Mark? Do you, is, he, is he doing it as a form of worship because he worshipped Gloria? Or is it a way of like, I don't know, he he's purging Mark of his sins by crucifying him? Which, I mean, I know that really wasn't the point of it crucifixion like that was christ you know absolving the world of their sins taking on their sins but mm -hmm. like what what is like why do this it, again if he truly loves gloria why would he do this yes <laughs> yeah you could definitely look at it as the first that's the the obvious literal interpretation it's he's punishing mark and he's trying to keep him in place while he goes down to the bar I think it's probably more the latter. So it's a little bit more absolving Mark of his sins and trying to bring him more in line, like Wait, more Gloria. What, yeah, I was like, what if it's absolving Mark of his identity? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's preparing him to more fully embrace his Gloria-ness. Yes, that is glory. <gasps> well, Britney Spears. Glory. No, like the, there's a reason that the wife's name is Gloria. Oh, that makes sense. Religion. Sorry. I thought you were referencing one of Britney Spears' better albums. We could go with that too. <laughs> uh, no, so, the, but the, then, okay, but then that kind of like supports my point though about when he comes across the Calvaire at the end of the film, it's bringing back the memory of his the beginning of his transformation in the crucifixion and that cements his transformation into Gloria. Yeah. It is interesting that he lets Robert die after committing to this performance or identity, whichever yeah. way you choose to interpret it. And then that's actually the end that we don't see Mark again. We just see this panning shot of yeah. presumably him making his way through the woods. But like, that's that's the end of Mark. Again, there's no closure, so we really don't know, like, has he stripped off the dress and become Mark? Or is he still wearing it and he's, like, Gloria embodied? It's it's so open. I forget. Is he wearing the dress, like, this whole time during this climax? He is, yeah. Okay, cool. The I minute can... that he puts on that dress, he never takes it off. See, though? that Why? Why doesn't he take it off? Because it's winter? cold i don't know <laughs> but i th i think the dress is on over his um i don't know I, I don't really remember no he's definitely i think just wearing underwear but yeah that I, I, you pose a good question though yeah why does he just let robert sink into the 
bog. I think it's because at that point he knows he's no longer in danger. If we look at it as a bit of a religious experience or a religious moment, he's giving this person what they need before they go to their death. Instead of just helping him. (laughs) I mean, to me, this is also a huge difference between what you would see in a North American film and a film like a foreign film. Because in a North American film, he would like kick Robert's face in and then he would run off and flag down a truck and that would be the final image well yeah i mean that's yeah this is definitely a more interpretative ending and i mean again would you even call it a happy ending no (laughs) no like no matter which way you look at it he's gotten away but for now i mean again there's still the other other villagers out there Mm -hmm. but either a they're gonna find him or he has completely broken mentally and he has become gloria or he's just fucking destroyed and he does manage to get out of there but i mean you can't be the same after an, after an ordeal such as this. Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, it, it, this is, it sounds so terrible. I was thinking to myself earlier, I was like, you know, the worst thing he went through, um, oh, it was something, it was, I guess it was that crucifixion, like the rape wasn't that bad. And then I caught myself thinking, the rape wasn't that bad? Like, mm-hmm. again, no matter how you look at it, rape is always bad. And I, I, I was like, why the fuck did I just think that to myself? Because this is such an ordeal. Yeah. I mean, if you compare it to the pantheon of other films in the new French extremity, what he goes through, there, there is worse. There's so much worse. Yeah, I know. But as far as this film goes, like this film is a legitimate ordeal. Yeah. I mean, again, both for the characters and for the viewers watching it. And I don't mean that in a bad way, although I'm sure many people would watch it and say it is <laughs> my bigger concern is that people would watch this and say uh nothing really happens and it's kind of boring and then it gets really violent at the end but i you i think that that's the thing that people say about a lot of these french extremity films oh for sure but again yeah if you're looking at all of them literally which i mean again that's how i look at inside that's kind of how i look at high tension that kind of is the case but you know Clearly, I need to go watch them again to see if there's something more to it. Yeah, agree to disagree. We will, maybe we will get there one day. I mean, we can't really cover Inside for this podcast, I don't think, but maybe I'll just like watch it one day um, when it finally comes to Blu-ray in the States, because it's only available on DVD. I would argue that we could cover. It's a love affair between two women over a child. Well, listeners, you heard it here first. (laughs) Stay tuned for that. There we go. (laughs) Okay, well, any other talking points you want to touch on with this one? No, I feel like we've... We've gone through the ordeal and come out the other side. I'm feeling a little bit Gloria-esque myself. <laughs> Do you have a game for this movie? Uh, you know, it was tempting to say, what would this look like if we tried to turn it into a North American film? But I just don't think it's possible. No, I don't think you could ever... I mean, well... <laughs> we were just talking about, like... last week about how oh the magic of cinema you can take a video game like fatal frame and do anything with it Mm -hmm. so you could you could do it but actually no that that's actually a really good point though because look at the two french extremity films that have been remade for america oh gosh the inside remake Mm -hmm. is so watered down it's pathetic it is and martyrs is too but i would i actually think that martyrs is a better film because you haven't seen the martyrs remake have you I haven't. No. Okay. It's not great. I cut it a lot of slack in my review because even though it, it it is watered down, it does something. It takes the premise of Martyrs and does something new with it. 
that yeah. I appreciated, even if it isn't wholly successful. Interesting. I feel like that's a topic for a future mini-sode that we might be covering on the Patreon feed next month. Yeah, and I actually own the Blu-ray of that remake of Martyrs because I got it as a review copy. <laughs> so I can watch that whenever. Inside, though, it's just the same story watered down and it doesn't fix any of the problems that i had with the original namely those stupid cops oh yeah yeah the cops are dumb and it sucks because i like both those actresses like rachel nichols i fucking love p2 Mm -hmm. hello and then what's her face from mulholland drive laura herring there you go oh and that ending they fucking botch oh. that ending it's so the bad is the worst that to me is the thing that fucks it up the most yeah which again but that's the thing when you're maybe making any of these films you're taking films that are known for their extremeness and you i guess extremity mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't make them extreme well no because the the belief is that americans can't handle it again like you know us like and me specifically i'm never much like why would you remake that that doesn't need to be remade but it's like it doesn't need to be remade if you're not going to at least try to, like, do the same spirit. You don't have to do the same thing, but, like, keep that spirit of extremity into it, which is, like, the whole backbone of those movies. Well, keep the spirit, but have something to say. Well, and yeah, and that's the thing, yeah. These movies, most of them have something to say, and these remakes, well, again, I think the Martyrs one kind of does, but that's also because that a statement is built into that premise, Mm-hmm. whereas inside you know you might have to look harder for it clearly because i didn't see it in the first one yeah it's tricky i mean all of these homes are very interesting and if you find yourself being one of those people who says oh there's nothing but gore it's just you know like i would urge people not to look at these films in the same vein as the torture film the torture porn films that we had here in north america which again also have things to say they're just often of a less philosophical nature and i would argue less artistically filmed or created or made yeah there's something to be said for writer directors really having their finger on the content and the craft for Mm -hmm. these films well yeah because as gross and shocking and disturbing as these french films are there's at least a beauty to them whereas for a lot of the torture porn films that came out in america you can't really say that about them you know i wouldn't say oh hostels really beautiful <laughs> but like something like martyrs or again even inside like it's, it's a pretty film oh my gosh there's gorgeous shots in those movies mm-hmm. hostile i uh, there's some good framing i'll give yeah. eli Roth that but or you don't have that that rapid shock editing that you know the saw franchise has um, oh yeah that's true there isn't xenophobia in these french extremity movies like there is well because this no, one there, has there is but that's often what they're addressing yeah exactly whereas you know in something like a teristas they're not addressing xenophobia (laughs) xenophobia just is the it's uh, they're the bad guys (laughs) the the the, the islanders are the bad guys which is interesting coming back to calvair just to wrap things up yeah i have seen people misinterpret this film in their comparisons to texas chainsaw massacre and say oh this film is really just about city or rather country folk being, you know, backwater, mentally handicapped, mentally unstable, you know, don't go into the woods kind of deal. Like people have said, oh, this is the French deliverance. (laughs) It's like, yeah, no, it is. It's just because of the pigs. It's just because of the pig fucking. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Walk me through the social media sign off. So yeah, that is Calvair. If you 
haven't seen it, maybe we've made you want to see it uh, seek it out and see it. Gosh, I hope so. Maybe it's not. It's a hard to find film, but it's worth seeking it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but before we announce what we are covering next week, uh, let's do some housekeeping first. So if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me at Traced Thurman. And I am at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about the podcast, be sure to use the hashtag HorrorQueers in your tweets. Uh, you can also email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. We would also love it if you go to iTunes and uh, take two seconds to leave us a star rating. Or if you have a little bit more time, please leave us a review. Uh, if you've liked what you've listened to and you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash HorrorQueers, where you can get tons of bonus content, uh, two full-length bonus episodes and two minisodes each month. This episode is dropping in the middle of May, so we'll have an episode on Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. And coming up, I believe, next week is an episode on The Perfection. It might be two weeks. Uh, I'm not really sure of the time. All right. <laughs> but, uh, Joe, what are we covering next week? Well, Trace, I'm dragging you back north. I am forcing you to revisit. Actually, is this our first director revisit? Yeah, I was going to mention it when you said it. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, so this is the first time on the podcast that we're going to be revisiting the work of a director. And I am going to make us watch David Cronenberg's The Brood for its 40th anniversary. Now, I have seen this one, and I really like The Brood. Um yeah. And listeners, I'm sure it's available to stream, but it's also a Criterion Blu-ray. So it is very easy to find. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I'm very excited about that and to revisit Cronenberg and to let you take the reins because you are the <laughs> master of Cronenberg. Oh, I love that title. <laughs> and on that note, I, I think we can cross out Calvair. And cross out Horror Queers. This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.